When I was in high school, I didn't value people enough. It didn't help that I was arrogant and that I thought whoever said it's not what you know, it's who you know, was just flat out wrong. I thought that I could rely on my own talents and abilities to earn a prestigious job and to earn the money and success and thus the happiness and fulfillment that come with it. But I found myself feeling lonely even when there were other people around. I knew I would need to make some changes in my life in order to be able to build relationships with others. And so to do that, I had to watch others and figure out exactly how to do it. So I looked at some of my classmates and teammates whom I admired. I observed what attributes made me and others enjoy being with them. And I eventually began to mirror those qualities. By mirroring them, I was able to start to interact better with others. In this morning's passage, the Apostle Paul does something similar to encourage the people of Corinth to grow as Christians. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When Paul wrote this to the Corinthian people, he was taking up an offering to support impoverished believers in Jerusalem. We see in the second and fourth chapters of the book of Acts that many of the new believers sold all they had so that they could support those who were in need. Unfortunately, that money wouldn't last forever. An anti-Christian bias was strong in the heavily Jewish city of Jerusalem, which could make it difficult for the early church to work and replenish its resources. To make a difficult situation even worse, a series of droughts caused famines across the region. Paul responded to this need by calling on the churches he planted on his earlier missionary journeys to contribute to the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. He encouraged the Corinthians to look to the Macedonians as an example to encourage them in generous giving. And my goal this morning is that we too would grasp the glory of gospel generosity. Looking at verse 1, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. 
How does Paul refer to the Macedonians' generosity here? Does he call it an offering, a donation, a pledge drive? No, Paul refers to this act of generosity as the grace of God that has been given to the Macedonians. In fact, this passage, which is clearly about giving, talks about grace just as much as it talks about finances. We see it again below, starting in verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. It's clear that gospel generosity is infused with grace from beginning to end. We receive grace both in the form of our salvation and in the form of the good gifts that God gives his people. Gifts such as the faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, and love that God gave to the Corinthians. We respond with generosity toward others in an act of grace, like the one that Paul encourages in verses 6 and 7. God then often responds by pouring out even more blessings in an even greater act of grace, feeding a literal virtuous cycle of generous, grace-filled giving. As we can see, point one, gospel generosity is grace-filled. I want to be clear about the grace that we give, or that we receive as we give. I'm not talking about saving grace. God doesn't save us as a response to what we do, but out of a free gift for his love for us. So we can't earn our salvation no matter how generous we are. We aren't selling indulgences here. I'm also not teaching the prosperity gospel. I can't promise you that if you just send the church $60, that God will pay you back five or tenfold. And I can't promise that if you're generous, that you will have health, wealth, and prosperity. No, the grace that we receive is what A.W. Tozer called the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. Paul continues to write about grace in giving one chapter after today's passage in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. As we give, we grow in righteousness as we reflect the God who has given us everything we have. As we give, we grow in generosity, in faith, in hope, in love toward God and toward one another. Perhaps this is why Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive in Acts 20.35. And when that verse really sank in for me, it was life-changing. I was able to see giving as a blessing. Not just receiving, not just having enough to give, but the act of giving itself. 
God has changed my heart to find joy in giving. And that's why I chose this passage for this morning. I want to share with all of you the opportunity to find that same joy that I've found in giving. As an example, I had the opportunity to give when we were raising money to buy this building. I felt God was leading me to give a large amount toward the building. And what I gave was a small portion of the $200,000 down payment that we needed. But it was a large portion of what I had in the bank. And as I gave, God gave me an opportunity to see his faithfulness to continue providing all that I needed. He loosened the grip of money that he had on my life. And he gave me grace in the form of the desire and ability to give. And once I gave, he gracefully grew me in joy and in faith in him. God has truly transformed me from the money-loving child I was, forced by my parents to set aside a portion of my allowance for charitable giving, into the man I am now. A man who can truly say that I have seen grace in my giving. Returning to the example of the Macedonian churches, starting in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Verse 2 tells us more about the lives of the Macedonians. We know of three churches that Paul planted in Macedonia. The churches at Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. We don't know exactly what those churches were experiencing in their severe test of affliction, but the Bible does give some indication of what they might have experienced. In Acts 16 and 17, we're told about Paul planting these churches in Macedonia. In Acts 16, Paul is beaten and thrown in jail in Philippi. In Acts 17, he plants the church in Thessalonica, and a riot breaks out in the city. He then goes to Berea, and a group from Thessalonica hears that he's over in Berea sharing the gospel, and they rile up the crowds against him there. The believers in these cities likely faced strong discrimination and persecution at the hands of those who opposed Paul. We also see in verse 2 that the Macedonians lived in extreme poverty. Macedonia was a Roman province, and Rome was known to heavily tax its faraway provinces. This left the Macedonians with little by way of earthly possessions. In spite of their circumstances, the churches in Macedonia show us that, point two, gospel generosity is given gladly. What would lead an impoverished, heavily persecuted group of people to give so generously? And as verse 4 tells us, even to beg to give. First, they gave out of joy. See it in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The people in the Macedonian churches experienced such a deep, abiding joy, even in their difficult circumstances, that they couldn't help but to give generously. 
they were living proof of the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness can only come from circumstances, but joy comes from truly realizing what we've been given. Happiness comes from receiving material gifts. Joy comes from receiving God's salvation and righteousness, Isaiah 61.10. Happiness comes from enjoying the fruits of our labor. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Happiness comes from avoiding painful experiences, but joy comes from taking refuge in the Lord, Psalm 5.11. Happiness comes from a pleasant life. Joy comes from participating in the sufferings of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13. You see, what the Macedonian churches lacked in material blessings and the happiness that often accompanies them, they more than made up for in spiritual blessings and the joy that always accompanies them. I know by now many of you have thought of reasons not to give. I know that because even though I've experienced joy in giving, I've also come up with some of these excuses. In the last year, we've experienced the highest inflation we've seen in 40 years. Food prices have increased 10% in the last year, and gas prices are at all-time highs. And mortgage interest rates have doubled in less than a year, which makes already skyrocketing home prices even less affordable. Without a doubt, we are facing difficult economic circumstances. So how did the Macedonian churches face their circumstances? Remember, they were deeply impoverished and heavily persecuted, yet they didn't look for an excuse not to give. They looked for a way to give. They couldn't help but to share their wealth of generosity with others because they had experienced the joy that could only be found in Christ Jesus. And that same joy is available to us. A second reason the Macedonians could give gladly was because of grace. As we discussed earlier, gospel generosity is filled with God's grace. It's enabled by God's grace, and God responds to generosity by giving a greater measure of grace in the form of righteousness and blessings. It's clear from this passage that the Macedonian churches experienced God's grace in giving. This is made explicit in verse 1, which refers to the collection as the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. We also see it in verse 4, where the Macedonians are begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. As a reminder, the Macedonian churches were living in extreme poverty. Since we live in the Twin Cities, we're used to seeing poor people begging. But how many of those people are begging to give? The key lies in exactly what the Macedonians are begging for. They're begging for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That word translated here as favor is charis, which is usually translated as grace. In fact, the word charis appears five times in this passage, and the other four times it's translated grace. This is about even with the Bible as a whole because charis is translated grace about 80% of the time that we see it in the New Testament. The Macedonians gave as they received from our generous God, trusting that as they gave generously, 
God would graciously provide all they needed and that he would grow them in righteousness. We also see that the Macedonians didn't just give money and they didn't just give to poor believers in Jerusalem. See it in verse 5. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Although this was on the surface a one-time gift to support poor Christians in Jerusalem, it was a part of something deeper. Their giving was a part of a lifestyle of worship. They could give generously because they valued their God over gold and their Savior over silver. They gave because they had learned to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things would be added to them. They learned to sing, take my life that I may be consecrated, Lord, to thee, and then to sing, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. They had given their life, their love, their all to serve God. When they'd already given everything else to God, why would they withhold their money from him? As we read this passage, we are challenged not only to give generously to others, but also to give our whole lives to God. We are called to live our lives to glorify God and not ourselves, to build his kingdom and not our own. Think about it. How would your life look different if you devoted your whole self, your whole life to God? How would it look different if you devoted everything to him? How would your family, your friends, your city be transformed? How would your heart be transformed? You can only expect to give gladly in gospel generosity when you have fully given your life in service to God. In order to give our lives fully to God, we must first root out the love of money that so often captures our hearts. We live in the richest country in the history of the world, and that often leads to idolatry of comfort. We idolize the comfort that we have or that we see others have and that we want for ourselves. But we must, must love God more than we love our earthly possessions or comforts. Then, when we give, we can do so gladly. Of course, it's difficult to give gladly if you're forced to give. In verse 8, we see that the Macedonians gave gladly. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Paul tells the Corinthians that the Macedonians gave earnestly, intentionally, sincerely. Note that word also here. If the Corinthians' giving would prove that their love also is genuine, that means that the Macedonians' giving was a demonstration of love. It's that very love that led the Macedonians to give gladly and not grudgingly. How can we give to show our love for those around us? Besides the obvious option to give directly to Vertical Church to support our mission, Living life in Christian community provides plenty of opportunities to provide for the needs of others. 
Here at Vertical, we say that church isn't like a family, it is a family. And an important part of any well-functioning family is that its members love each other. I had the opportunity to see that love in action last year when someone in my missional community was in dire need of dental care and couldn't afford it. The couple who hosts the group connected that person with a dentist and worked with a group of vertical church members to make sure that the bill was covered. The love that these members had for that person overflowed in generous giving to ensure their needs were met. Another display of love in action comes from a couple I know who weren't exactly well off financially one Christmas. Someone anonymously gave them gifts for their children and cash for the couple. When we're involved in the lives of others, we can see opportunities to show them love, both our love and God's love, through gospel generosity. If you need more convincing that love is crucial to giving gladly, picture two men giving their wives flowers for Valentine's Day. Naturally, both women respond, Aw, you shouldn't have. To which the first man says, Of course, I love you. And the second man says, Of course, it's my duty. Which man showed greater love in his giving? Obviously the first man. Which man showed greater gladness in giving? Also the first man. This begs the question, what caused this overflowing love for the people of Jerusalem who were over 800 miles away? To answer that question, let's first define what love is. John Piper derives his definition of love from today's passage. He defines love as the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. Applying this definition of love to today's passage, we can see that the Macedonians were able to love because God first loved them and gave them abundant joy in him. John Piper writes, Their abundance of joy was owing to the grace of God that had been given. Their sins were forgiven. The wrath of God had been replaced with the divine smile of everlasting favor. Guilt was gone. Hell was closed. Heaven was open. The Spirit was indwelling. Hope had exploded in their hearts. All of this because of Christ, when they deserved none of it. The grace of God had been given. The Macedonians received grace from God, and because of that grace, they experienced an abundance of joy. That joy overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part as they met the needs of others. This morning, we all have the opportunity to respond to the grace that we've been given by growing in the joy that can only come from giving ourselves fully to God. And as we do so, that joy will overflow in a love that leads to glad giving. For most of this passage, Paul points to the churches in Macedonia as an example. But in the final verse, Paul turns our attention to the greatest example of generosity in history, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 reads, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. While this whole passage is aimed at providing an example of gospel generosity worthy of imitation, the first word of this verse makes this the most explicit example in this passage. That word, for, ties together the end of verse 8 with the beginning of verse 9. So let's read that again, starting at the second part of verse 8. To prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins verse 9 by telling the Corinthians the reason they should love others. And it's the same theme that has pervaded the passage. The grace that has been given by God through Jesus Christ. This is the very grace that calls us to love others. And we are called to reflect the sacrifice of Christ through sacrificial giving. We were made in God's image, created to be a reflection of his character here on earth. Whenever we're selfish, stingy, and tight-fisted, our deeds are a distortion of our design. However, when we conform our lives to the example of Jesus, we glorify him in all that we do. We can conclude then that point three, gospel generosity is God glorifying. It gives him glory because we see what he has done and we see that it is good. So good that we want to imitate his example of generosity. And as we give generously, the people around us can only look on and see that we are different. Our generosity serves as a witness to the world. The best and most important part of gospel generosity is the gospel. And that is why I think this is the most important verse on generosity in the Bible. It shows our proper motivation and it gives us an example to follow. So let's look again at that motivation. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave everything for us. Our glorious God stepped down from his heavenly throne. He took on human flesh and walked in this sinful world. The most high God bent down to be spit upon and scorned. The king of the world humbled himself, accepting the most powerful or the most painful and humiliating form of death we have ever known. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 put it this way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why would Jesus do this? He did it for you. In the greatest act of God-glorifying giving, 
Jesus Christ gave his life to pay the penalty for our sins. We didn't do anything to deserve this gift. We couldn't do anything to deserve this gift. And yet he freely offers it to us. And if you've never accepted the gift of grace by Jesus Christ and you want to, I invite you to talk with myself or with one of the other pastoral residents or elders after the service today. We would love the opportunity to talk with you. Jesus gave his life so that we could receive forgiveness for our sins. And that's all we could ask for and more than we deserve. But God wants more than that. He wants us to become godly. Verse 9 tells us that he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What riches do we receive as a result of Christ's sacrifice? In reflecting on this, John MacArthur said, to make poor sinners rich. Materially rich? No. Spiritually rich? Yes. Eternally rich? Yes. Rich with what? Rich with what riches? Rich with the same riches that he possessed and possesses. Rich in salvation, forgiveness, joy, peace, life, Light, glory, rich in honor, rich in majesty. We are so rich, we are called joint heirs with Christ. We are promised an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that fades not away, laid up for us in heaven. Christ died so that we could have eternal riches so glorious that any measure of worldly wealth fades in comparison. As we give from our earthly riches so that others may experience what it's like to be truly rich, our gospel generosity is God-glorifying. We've received a grace beyond all measure, a grace that changes our lives. Through the Holy Spirit, we have access to an abundance of joy. And as we gladly give in gospel generosity, we glorify God by reflecting what he has done for us. Let's pray.